Hey everybody, Chris here, and welcome to another episode of the Make It Podcast. This intro will be very short because it is a indie talk week with my partner Nick Bugs, and this time we turn the tables on ourselves. In this episode, uh, we take the questions we typically ask our guests, and we turn the tables around and we ask those questions to ourselves. Um, and the results are uh, hopefully valuable. Uh, hopefully a lot of uh, gems in there for you to take, little nuggets of, of wisdom in there that you can take with you into your weekend, and uh, also some hilarity and entertainment in there as well. So uh, enjoy, and if you have any questions for us, uh, have any feedback, please send them to contact at bonsai.film. So with that, talk soon, and enjoy this week's episode of Indie Talk with Chris and Nick. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast and another indie talk with me and my partner in crime here, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? Nick here <laughs> in the house, in the business. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, for this week, we had lots of topics we could have talked about, and 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 uh, we we will address them in coming weeks, I'm sure, as we develop those. But uh, one thing that we get asked a lot is, um, what if the tables were turned on us? What if uh, we were asked the same questions that we ask our guests, you know, every week? And um, and people want this feedback for some reason. I don't think we're that interesting, but. Um, a lot of our guests say, well, wh- what about you? Who's your favorite creative? What advice do you have? And I just thought, wouldn't it be cool to just turn the tables and ask the same questions that we ask our guests uh, to to ourselves and, and answer them? So that's what we're going to do today, Nick. Hey, sounds like a plan to me, man. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. All right. So um, we're not going to ask all of them, though. so some of them don't some of them don't fit very well although you know we could probably answer them i think um i think most people don't realize nick that that um we are also creatives and and have had artistic lives and lead artistic lives and have created uh in the past right like like we we're we're on that branding and business side a lot. And so people may not realize that, uh, for example, um, you know, I've written 300 songs, I've written screenplays. Um, I have books and books of poetry. Um, you, uh, have written probably 2000 poems. Is that right? Yeah, probably over the last, uh, two years I've probably written 2000. So yeah, it's, it's a lot I try to keep pumping it out, man. It's what's great about being a creative is that, um, inspiration comes from so many different places and oftentimes it's unexpected and you're driven to create because of that inspiration. You know, I think some people don't even understand that, you know, it's like sometimes I see something or hear something and then I'm driven to write something like right at that moment. It's funny because sometimes my wife will see me, you know, I'll, I'll type this stuff on my phone so she'll send me grab my phone. Like, well, what are you doing on your phone? Like, why are you on your phone? I'm like, because I got to write something, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like right now, like it has to happen right now. Uh, but that's the great thing about it. You know, it's just like you're always inspired by something and you're always uh, inspired to create. So, yeah, it's it's fun stuff, man. It's good times. Well, that's the world we have to get used to as well. It reminds me of a story we were told by uh, Chad McLaren at Filmcom a couple of weeks ago where he was on set. 
And uh, the person he was talking to is like an intern, like a college student, film student, was supposed to be learning on set. And, you know, Chad's giving him a bunch of stuff to do. And uh, the kid's just looking down at his phone and Chad's starting to get irritated, um, you know, as, as he might do. And, uh, <laughs> and he says, uh, you know, he, he says, hey, you can't be on your phone like you're on your phone right now. He goes, oh, I'm taking notes. So, oh, yeah, this is how, you know, now you have to get used to the fact that just because someone's on their phone doesn't mean that they are ignoring you or not paying attention to you. And and it changes the norm because, um, you know, we've sort of all been trained to say, OK, if someone is across from us and they have their phone out, then that's rude. Yeah. Right? yeah. But but it may not be rude anymore. So um, I, to me, um, you don't have to take notes on my conversation, but depending on the conversation <laughs> and the reason you're there, maybe you are taking notes on your phone during the conversation. The yeah. other thing that's crazy about technology, by the way, and I'll just mention this uh, <laughs> is the, is the wearable. So in my case, I wear an Apple watch and the Apple watch gets pinged with like notifications from your phone regularly, right? Not to mention just the shit it's doing on its own. Yep. So um, I was in a meeting yesterday and uh, a notification came through my watch and I looked at my watch. And then I noticed that the person across from me looked at their watch. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't, I wasn't checking to see if we had time. I wasn't looking at the time. I, I got a notification. Oh, I know. I know. They were like, I know, no. But the thing is, is they didn't know. They didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> they thought, they thought I was like, how much longer is this meeting? <laughs> how much longer are we going to be talking? And cause it wasn't like a business meeting. It was like a, it was like a personal meeting. So it was a little bit embarrassing. Like, like to say, okay, this guy's really, this guy's He's really, not into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but really all it is, is that it's your watch telling you, you have a meeting coming up in, in 30 minutes. Yeah. And I think for me, the, the main thing is, and in the context of, you know, the discussion with my wife, it's that um, when you're on your phone, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're being unproductive, right? Or you're being wasteful with your time, right? Like I don't do a lot of scrolling through social apps, you know, if I'm on my phone, I'm likely either creating, communicating, or I'm working, right? Like that's generally how I use my phone. So I think, yeah, in this, in this new day and age uh, with creatives, you know, you can film on your iPhone, you know, you can edit on your iPhone. Uh, you can use apps to make sure that your cast and crew are all in line with whatever the production schedule is. You know, there is you can take notes in these business meetings. You can I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that you can do. And it has become just kind of part and parcel. It's it's like a third hand. Right. It's not just a tool. It's like an appendage that actually has tangible benefit. And it's difficult to be without it at times. Yeah. And I watched that Neuralink presentation earlier this week. And uh, that might ultimately usurp the phone. Uh, because then you'll just, the phone will be in your head and in your hand, like physically. And, uh, everything you're thinking will just sort of, you know, will just happen. Um, but maybe not, maybe it'll happen. And then your phone will then respond to what you're thinking, uh, as we sort of, you know, mesh with AI, but <laughs> that's a, a different podcast. Uh, yeah, right. And a um, different episode of black mirror and black mirror. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, um, um, which I love. And the writer for that, um, God, I forget his name, Charlie, Charlie Broker. That's his name. He's, he's a comedian. <laughs> he's a comic writer, but, but he's got some really great insights and that shows probably changed. I think that show's done more to help people understand the world that's coming forward than, than maybe CNN has. Right. Um, <laughs> or, or Fox news. It's, which is <laughs> this odd thing. Like, like, I'm more prepared for the next 20 years by watching black mirror than I am by the news. Um, but, but I do want to stay on this a little bit because one of the questions we ask is, you know, what are the top three online resources for helping 
um, you know, be creative and, and, and do your creative work. Well, instead of addressing it that way, we can answer the question, you know, what tools do we use to be creative? And you just mentioned writing your poem, uh, poem, uh, poems, if I can speak this morning, um, <laughs> on your phone. Um, but I, when I hear that, I immediately think, oh my God, you know, he's really dependent on, on the cloud because he could lose everything if, if, you know, his cloud somehow gets deleted or hacked or whatever. So what are your tools for creating, Nick? Yeah, well, I think for, you know, quick note taking, but at the same time, organized note taking, you know, I'm a big fan of OneNote. You know, Microsoft OneNote has always been has been a go to of mine for mm -hmm. several years. You know, it's linked up. I got it on my laptop. I got it on my phone. You know, I can kind of sync back and forth and it really helps me to organize, you know, thoughts, ideas, uh, sometimes information or references that I need, you know, on the fly. So yeah, that's one of the key ones for me. And it's cool because, you know, you can drop photos in there. You can take pictures and put it in there if you, if I need to do that. Um, and it's just good for yeah, any, anything I'm typing, literally anything I'm typing, whether it's a list, a memo, a poem, an idea for a story, uh, notes, whatever it is, OneNote takes care of all that stuff. So, you know, we use it for Bonsai. You know, there's tons of ways we can uh, reference information later. The search function is awesome. Uh, you know, you can do all sorts of different, you know, cool stuff it integrates with, um, with Excel. You can create Excel spreadsheets right in there and then, you know, expand those spreadsheets into Excel to do deeper dive stuff. You can do notifications, you can share. It's just got tons of cool stuff in it. So yeah, for any time you're taking notes, anytime you're writing anything down that you might have to reference later, uh, but you want it in a searchable or organized way, then I'm a big fan of OneNote. Yeah, I've, I've always said that OneNote uh, is Microsoft's best product and they do zero promotion for it. And yeah, I used, to, I used to work for Microsoft and I said the same thing. I was just like, this, this is the best thing you've got. You know, why aren't you, why isn't this your flagship product and everything else you have is just um, something that you can build upon what you put in OneNote. So like a Word document. Well, if you frame the outline in OneNote, you collaborate with people on the content in OneNote, you know, you can move back and forth with people. You can work back and forth on devices. You do all that stuff in OneNote. And then when it's time to formalize your idea, you then move into Word. Same thing with tables. You can create tables on the fly, collaborate, do all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, now we've got the framework for this in something that doesn't restrict me. That's the other th beautiful thing about OneNote is that it doesn't restrict you the same way that applications like Word or Excel do. Uh, it's a very much free form, kind of click anywhere on the page, do whatever you want. But yeah, you start there and then, okay, it's time to formalize this a little bit. Let's move over into the more robust application, which is Excel. Right. drawings, all that kind of stuff, you know, do, you can do a presentation inside OneNote and then say, oh, okay, it's time to formalize this. Let's move into PowerPoint. So, but you've got all your initial brainstorming, your collaboration, all of that can happen inside OneNote. And then you move into those tools. To me, that would have been a great thing for Microsoft to do. Yeah. And to develop that, because that's the next thing I was going to say is that even though it's the best thing that Microsoft has, it could still be better, like vastly better. Because when I think of like the number one competitor to OneNote, I think about Evernote yep. or, or, or Scrivener, which I know a lot of people use. And both of those applications are really fleshed out. Like, like they, they do a really great job. And then they're a lot more beautiful to look at than OneNote, right? So even on the aesthetic side, I think Microsoft could improve the way OneNote looks. And people might adopt it a little bit, a little bit yeah, more. And I, yeah, I think so. That's, you know, right there, you've got two to three tools, you know, include Scrivener, but OneNote, Evernote, and Scrivener, you know, these are tools that are just literally, they're just awesome for jotting down thoughts, ideas, references. You know, if you've got to put a link to something and you got to reference that link later, you can do that in there. Uh, but basically any kind of text-based stuff or even image-based stuff, because What's another great part about OneNote that I'm, I'm not sure if Evernote does, uh, but it provides the ability to search text and images. 
So if you need to take a screenshot of something and then drop that into OneNote, and then you're like, oh, what was that thing? And you type it in, you've got words in that image, it'll find that image for you. So it's just a great reference point. So yeah, anyone who's looking, anyone who's using like just straight up notes or notepad in your phone or you're, you're texting people to remember stuff, you know, cause I know my wife does that to me sometimes. I'll see like some list pop up in my, you know, my messages and I'm like, what is this? Well, she's like, oh, I just had to remember that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> if you're doing any of that kind of just simple note taking, I just say, jump into, you know, something like OneNote, Evernote or Scrivener and it'll change your life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and yeah, I do believe Evernote does that, that searching. And then for me, um, just when it comes to writing, writing, I, um, there are purists that will say, you know, final draft is the program you should use. That's the program. Um, a lot of professional writers use and, um, they have the big break contest every year. And, you know, there's a big community around that. I used final draft for a while. I didn't find it super pleasing. Um, I'd used Celtics for a while as well because it's free. Um, unless you're using their cloud and, and pre-pro services, um, you could collaborate in the cloud. Um, there were some things that you would want it to do that, that it really couldn't do. Um, but it was also freeware, right? Um, and so now I've moved on to fade in and fade in has been my script writing, um, program of choice for about three years now. Um, it's $50. It's a one-time cost of 50 bucks and, um, it has everything and it's regularly updated and you're supporting an independent creative in your own right by buying that because it's really made by, to my understanding, fade in is, is up, updated, maintained and sold by one person. <laughs> so, oh, so yeah. pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome to me. Uh, it's not some big corporation or it's not some small corporation. I think it's just one guy. Um, and but it's got everything like it's really good and um, it's really clean. And and um, there's, you know, one of the things that um, some of these other programs that we just mentioned, like Scrivener, for example, the the uh, you know, reason it gets, you know, praise. And there's some other ones out there that are newer, um, like a, I think it's one called Fountain. Um, where they just make the page blank and it's just you in the page. And so there's no distractions. Um, you know, Faden does that really well also. So that, that would be one that, um, maybe you haven't heard of, but you should, you should, uh, you should give it a try. It works for Mac and it works for PC and, and, uh, you'll be fine. Now we mentioned Scrivener. Scrivener is great if you're writing a novel. Or even as something like if you're a student and you're writing a term paper, because they let you put a table of contents to the left, that's like a resource table for you. And you can grab everything that you've been referencing and researching, let's say over the over the last month to write the paper. And it can be really well organized and brought into the writing space. Um, I think Tim Ferriss has mentioned that he's used Scrivener to write, I think, the last th- his last three books. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. If you're wondering like, can I really write a book with this? Like, is it going to be a good book? Um, yeah, you can, you can definitely, definitely do that. Uh, for sure. Any other creative tools you use Nick for, uh, your, your creative life? Yeah. Well, I'll just, uh, we've said this one before, uh, actually even posted about it on Instagram, but if you flip into the creative life of, um, you know, film and, and what we do to support filmmakers, I mean, I can't get enough of IMDb and IMDb pro, you know, I think, um, IMDb is nice, uh, for, you know, just obtaining, you know, quick information about a film, uh, you know, getting some uh, information about filmmakers, but yeah, if you're, uh, in, in the business of film, Right. So you're not just making films for the fun of it. But if you're in the business of film, you're looking to make some money. Then I think IMDb Pro is definitely the way to go. I mean, just the the tracking that you can do, um, the news feeds that they provide, the significant detail 
of information into the filmmakers, the companies, whether they're distribution companies, sales companies, production companies, you know, uh, all of the information that they provide, I think is, is just great because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of outreach that you have to do as a, as an independent filmmaker, as a filmmaker in general. And I think they pro- provide the details for you to be able to perform that outreach, whether you're looking for a sales agent, you're looking for the right distributor for your film, uh, you're looking for a production company for your project. There's a lot of research that you can do right inside of IMDb Pro that I think really, yeah, all filmmakers should be taking advantage of. Yeah, it's worth it's worth every cent because if if because you have to do the research and IMDb Pro does that really well. Um, what they don't do well to me is their their user interface and user experience is really poor. Um, they could they could update that for sure and make that look a little better, feel a little better, be a little bit more intuitive, especially when it comes to updating things about a person. Um, that whole web form that they use is ridiculously oh. <laughs> bad and and horrid. And yeah, it, it, it can be, I'll say that it can be frustrating to update and basically your own stuff in there. Um, yeah, it's just, it it's does just get it's done, fucking dumb. Like how the yeah, hell does just, Amazon yeah. own this company and look like this? <laughs> yeah, that is true. I don't get it. And um oh man, uh creative stuff. Uh, it's so funny cuz you know me, like I'm a first adopter. Like I will I will try shit out. Like I will blow money. You didn't know what I was going to say after blow, right? Uh, I, I, I I will I will <laughs> I will blow money um to just try something out so that like people will know, "Oh, that's good or that's not good." Like I've been using, for example, day one for a long time, the app to like put my own writing and thoughts and poetry, you know, uh, into, but then recently I switched over to uh, an app called bear B E A R. And it's really great. Like I actually enjoy writing in it, um, a lot. And I think, you know, I might use bear going, you know, going forward. Uh, it, 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 it works out, um, uh, nicely. And I have all these little apps like that. And, you know, one of the things about knowing how to write a good movie or produce a good movie, uh, or maybe even direct a good movie is to read a good movie. And so, um, my last little recommendation before we move to the next question, um, is we can read, we can read is a must have application for anyone in film. In my opinion, um, it is developed by John August, who um, uh, wrote the latest Aladdin movie and um, uh, he wrote Big Fish and Go and a bunch of other things. And he's uh, super talented, super smart, has a development company as well. And um, uh, We Can Read is just a place where you can store things that you want to read. So scripts that you've gotten from around town, things like that. So every script that gets sent to me from the film community, I read inside We Can Read. And then on top of that, he loads those uh, the, the application with um, with scripts all the time. So contemporary ones, he always does a, like an award season script read. So every movie that gets nominated for an award gets uploaded, and you can you can read those and just try to figure out like how are the people who are masters at their craft putting things together. So um, before we move on, any other things? Any other suggestions you got? Those are mine. No, man, I think, yeah, I think that covers it. I think those are some good ones. Just, you know, there's tons of other ones out there, you know, like the, the quick ones, you know, YouTube, you know, get out there and do your research. YouTube is you know, so fucking dangerous. It is. It is. But I'll say this. I love like, it. I love it. Yeah. But it's dangerous. You got to get out. Yeah. Get out there and do your, do your research. Uh, the thing with YouTube is it's like, you know, YouTube is Google, right? Google video. <laughs> so yeah. the one thing you have to be careful of is that when you go out there searching, be very specific about what you're searching for. Not just you that. Know? You need a timer. Like you need to put an alarm on your phone that says, I will not watch more than 45 minutes of videos. Yes. Yeah, Cause exactly. they're, cause they're like so good. Their algorithm's so good. Like, they will push videos that you will want to watch over and like back to back to back. Yeah. And I'll say that I've been good. Well, that's just me, but you know, they, they push stuff to me all the time. And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> I'm in a single stream of consciousness right now. Like, yes, I'm also interested in that topic, but I'm here <laughs> for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't get me like that, man. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, you can go down a rabbit in, hole with YouTube. Yeah. It's like, you're going to go there for a reason. Know the reason. Like you said, put a time frame on it. 
and, you know, look for the very specific thing that you want and don't get distracted. You know, so as you're looking for something and the other thing pops up, yeah, don't click that other thing. Well, no, <laughs> no. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example how easy it is, man. So I'm, I'm watching a video that started just as research and the video was uh, um, top 10 best lines, movie lines of all time just to get the sense of what this individual thinks, right? Mm-hmm. Then it goes into top 10 best movie speeches of all time. So before I know it, I'm watching Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson do A Few Good Men, which is so fucking powerful. Uh, you know, I'm watching Charlie Chaplin give his speech. Like, I'm doing all this stuff. So then the next video is top 10 or top five, you know, best all-time acting. So, yeah, of course I'm going to watch that. Before you know it, it is 35 minutes later. No, longer. Longer. Because I think I started with like a George Carlin skit. <laughs> so so it's like 45 minutes later and I am in tears because I just watched the damn scene where Sean Penn finds his daughter dead in, in Mystic River. Oh, like like okay. like that scene is so good. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about where he's like, yes, yes. is that my daughter in there? <laughs> that that thing while he's being held back. Is that my daughter in there? Man, if he said it like that, I think I'd be in there! laughing. <laughs> in there! Right. Uh, no, no, he didn't say it like that. But it's like no, I'm trying doesn't. to like I'm trying to do like the whisper version of it, which right, is not yeah. working. But it's, it's not working out for you, man. That's not. No. It's not good. <laughs> no, he should. It, maybe he should. Is that my daughter in there? <laughs> that's what he says to kevin bacon while he's yeah. trying to force his way through the police line the yeah police exactly very is, that, calm. Is, is that my daughter in there right very calm. is that my daughter in there oh i see the inflection on the my I appreciate yeah that. no sean penn does that he does <laughs> he does the second one see that's the craft this just for all you actors out there the second one the first one is is that my daughter in there the second the first one i mean the second one right. is is that my daughter in there to the second one, it's inc- like it's hitting them. That's my daughter. Right. Oh, yeah. Man, it makes me cry every time I see it, bro. Yeah. Well, saying. see. I'm so a softie, though. Let me, let, me, let me just throw one in there. We can move on from this one. But I just opened up YouTube real quick mm-hmm. and talk about distractions. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to YouTube and look for something. And then right in the little feed where they're pushing stuff to me, I see Eddie Murphy, Red Light, featuring Snoop Lion. It's kind of like, <laughs> how do you not click on that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I just had a Drew Maynard flashback. His favorite video of all time is uh, sexual Snoop, seduction. Se- sexual seduction by Snoop Dogg. Um, yeah. So, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes that we see newcomers making, Nick? Oh man, I this think- is a question we always ask our our guests, but we can answer that too. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that from I'll say from my perspective they dovetail into each other, right? So the first one is, th- I think the, the most pressing mistake is not considering the business when you're trying to make money, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not all about business when you're just making art, right? You can do that. Get your friends together, you know, make something fun off the cuff, like witty, crazy, not mainstream. Like it just, it's just art. Like go ahead and do that. Have fun with it. But when you're in the business of film, you got to think about the business of film, right? If your objective is to make money, if your objective is to sell it, then that's the first part of it is like, you have to treat this like a business either at the same time or even before you consider the art of it. And then if you're considering the business, then your business decisions or your business outcomes that you want to have will influence your creative. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for a lot of filmmakers, a lot of creatives in general, is that as soon as you say that a business decision is going to influence your creative, then they feel like they've lost their authenticity. And it's like, hey, look, do you think that some of these big blockbusters that you're seeing out here now that making that are making all this money are 100% authentic? Right? Do you think that they didn't take a second to think about how they shot a scene or right. what they put into the scene? Um, you know, to support the business aspect of it. And they were just thinking about, oh, no, no, we, we, we have to keep it the purity of the art. We have no, it's not how money is made in the business. And I think for me, that is that is the number one mistake, business and creative, is not considering the business and help and using that to help influence and promote. 
the creative part. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, there's um, a lot of things that I think that um, a filmmaker will get confronted with in the post uh, production phase and in the selling and distribution phase of their film that had they thought of a year earlier, um, they would be more prepared for and certainly have more leverage. I think one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, you can call it a mistake, but, but one of the biggest shortcomings, uh, there is, is that you go into the selling and distribution, you know, the, the process of selling your film to a distributor or a buyer, you go into that process without any leverage whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, whether it be, um, uh, who's in your film, uh, whether it be the name of your movie, whether it be how you branded, uh, the filmmaker, uh, how you branded the film and how you branded the stars in the film, whether it be the expectation you set up for your biggest star in the movie, like, are they fully on board or, or were you just happy to get them to be in your movie? And so therefore you don't have them to, to take the ride with you, uh, when it comes time to brand and market your movie. And the reason that's important is that like, so some, some of these, um, VOD and SVOD, which is where a lot of independent films go, a lot of them have um, uh, varying rates, but but blanket license fees uh, that they pay you uh, per quarter. But then others, and many, many, many others, are based on streams. So you get a royalty based on how many times your movie was streamed. And, and for that, you kind of need an ongoing sort of campaign to push viewership of your film uh, as long as possible to as many people as possible. I think the upside with independent film, Nick, is that it's not like a normal studio film where it has like a run and then it has another window and like basically everybody in the world knows about it. With independent film, not everybody in the world knows about your movie. So you're always able to go introduce your film to new audiences if you want. Um, you don't have like an initial push where it's like, um, or your initial push is so big that everyone that's going to see it, ha- it has watched it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You're not getting that you know, big premiere. And then over the next six weeks, you know, that's basically when all the views will happen. Then it exactly. dies off. You do your next film. You no, know, yeah. It could happen over the next five years as long as you're able to find and, and curate and engage those audiences and, and keep pushing the content to them in unique and fun ways. Yeah. Like if I'm Jumanji too, I know that my, that 80% of my core fans are going to watch my movie in the first two weeks it comes out. Yeah. Right. That's not true of your typical indie film. Um, Correct. The next question we well, asked, well, let me let me let me oh, jump on that one. Yeah, let me jump back on this one real quick. Okay. Is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is one that you know we can always get really deep into. But you, know, you talked about that leverage, and I was just going to say that when you when you're not considering the business side up front, then the part where you get hung up and when you're trying to sell is that you're making the selling because when you get it to a distributor or to a buyer, they're going to resell it. Right. They're going to resell it in, for, you know, for foreign distribution. They're going to resell it uh, to, you know, an SVOD platform. They're going to resell it via some VOD platform. So they're going to put it back out there in an attempt to make some money. And if you haven't done the business stuff up front to get that leverage, you're just making it hard for them to make the money. Mm-hmm. Right. So like what is a star? And, and when we say star, we can just kind of maybe we'll scratch that and just say, if you don't have recognizable talent, then you make it you put the work on the distributor or the buyer to bring people to your film. Right. So the more work you give them, the less appealing you are, which they which they charge back to the production. Yeah. So what's, what's going to happen is if you've got your film with no, you know, I guess you could say yeah, no recognizable talent. And then you've got another film that has recognizable talent. It's not that the, that the distributor or buyer is interested in that person. They're interested in, they don't have to do the work, right? That, that person is, is very well known. They're backed by a management company. There's already you know, millions of viewers watching their content on some other uh, television show or film. Like They're going to have a draw there because their name and their face is associated with the film. If you don't have that, then it's work, right? And if there's work, 
maybe they don't want to do the work. They don't want to market your stuff. Then they're not going to buy your thing because it's, it's just too much work to make it happen. So I think, yeah, if you're thinking about these things, you're thinking about your recognizable talent, you're thinking about audiences that are already curated, that have already you know, provided an interest or indicated an interest in watching your project. These are the things that you got to do up front uh, before you even get to the table talking to distributors and buyers. Yeah, agreed. Because you think you're not going to pay for it. Like, oh, I didn't put branding and marketing in my budget or I didn't have the conversations or I didn't do the casting work. That's fine. Uh, that was a way for us to save money. And like the, the narrative that, you know, the independent film community pushes back out is, well, we didn't spend a lot on the movie. Therefore, making our money back will be easier. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's a nice theory. But the way it really plays out is that less people will watch your movie and therefore less money will be made. And or like you mentioned, like. Basically, okay, all the work and money you think you're saving, you pay for because the distributor has to do the work for you, and then they charge it back to you anyway. Yeah, if they're willing to do it, right? If, so If they're willing to do it, exactly. But, yeah, but even if they're not the willing only, to do it, they probably still have money set aside to do it, and they charge it back to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And I'd say that the ones that they're willing to do it for have to be standouts, right? And standouts are still things that are vetted by someone. So let's say you don't have that recognizable talent, but you won a film festival that is of note, like that could be enough to get a distributor to want to put in the work to help market. But again, per what you just said, that cost of marketing is going to be charged back against the film. Right? right. So right. again, you're you're making it more and more difficult to profit from the project. Uh, because some of that upfront work, you know, may not have been done. So, so yeah, I just wanted to mention, mention the part about leverage or expand upon that part about leverage and how important it is uh, on the, the selling end. Bro, leverage is the name of the game. That's a great, great, great way to, way to put it. Um, one of the uh, questions that we always ask that, that tends to be one of the most challenging for people is if you had one month to teach someone how to blank, you know, whatever it is, the thing they do, what are the first three things you would teach? And I wasn't sure I was even going to ask this question of ourselves today, but I thought it'd be unfair to the audience that hears us ask that question every time if we don't address it. And, um, you know, one thing I can say is learning um, from the experience of being an executive producer and a, an advisory producer on, you know, three feature films and shorts and comedy specials and things like that um, is, is there are some key things you can do if you're thinking about being an executive producer or even a producer um, that um, might not be intuitive, but, but you should do, especially if you're an EP, right? Like if you're going to executive produce, you're, you're going to provide the money. You hope the filmmakers can execute, but I think to really protect your investment, there are a couple of things you can do. One is um, go on the location scout with the producers and the directors and the, you know, the, the actual location scout. Like I think being part of and, and having a voice uh, in what locations are used in a film is critical. Location will dictate how good your film actually looks and how much money it looks like was spent um, on your on your film, I would say that's one for sure. And the second one is also related to location, so this might be one A, which is know the owner of the location really well. Um, we did a short in 2015 uh, where the last scene, I think we it could have been shot better. And you know, one of the things that I should have done there uh, on set was I should have gone to the owner of that location and said, we didn't get the shot. Can we just have 30 more minutes? Can you give us 30 more minutes? I know it's an exception. What can I do to, to get you to agree to 30 more minutes? Things like that, which a producer can also do those things. But as an EP and the person paying for it, you just have a lot more leverage. You have, you know, it's a lot different uh, coming from, you know, um, the person who actually has all the stakes 
financially in the in in the work, you know, asking that that question. Um, before I before I go to my other one, do you have one that sticks out, Nick, in, in terms of um, if you had to give someone one month, what would you teach them or have them do as an EP or an advisory producer? Oh man, you know where I am with that, dude. It's it's branding. Mm-hmm. Like that's the key thing is just is creating a brand for the film um, because that is the combination on the front end front end of business and creative. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you do that on the front end, it then permeates everything else that you do from then on. And it helps you to create that leverage that you need to be successful throughout production and then in the selling of the film. So I would definitely sit down you know, with a creative and say, okay, let's, let's start breaking this thing apart. Let's look at what it is you're trying to say. Let's look at why you're trying to say it. Let's look at the audiences that would be interested in this voice. You know, who are you speaking for? You know, let's look at, you know, attaching people, you know, to this film that speak this voice, you know, have interests or stake in the brand that you're presenting. And those attachments could be cast. It could be crew. They could be executive producers. They could just be, advocates, people who just want this story told, you know, and start building that brand. And, um, you know, I guess it doesn't matter, you know, if you're talking about a a filmmaker, they could be at the beginning, you know, of their filmmaking process. They could be in the middle. Uh, They could be, you know, coming in towards the end. It's kind of like, hey, look, if you're going to give me that time with you, regardless of where you are in your process, I want to work with you to, to really build a brand that can sell. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. That's more in the advisory producing side. And, you know, trying to sum up this question is really difficult. So now I actually can empathize with the creatives that are in the hot seat (laughs) most of the time, because there are like eight or nine things floating through my mind and I'm trying to prioritize which one would be the most up there. Like, like, you know, obviously if you're on set, like meeting every person on set, like I'm, I'm very good about, I'm going to shake every person's hand and I'm going to sit down with them over coffee or cocktails or lunch or something and and find out why they're in this movie, what they do well, try to figure out their their pacing, their ebb and flow. But, you know, how do you prioritize that over some of these other things? And I guess when I think about it, if, if you're thinking about how to impact the film in the most positive way from an EP or an AP position and perspective, I think it would be. Um, developing the nuance to not prevent the creative from being creative, but not letting them walk into creative mistakes by accident. Like, I, I, yes, but I think that's uh, for us, I think that is both EP and AP, right? Executive yeah, producer both, and yeah, advisory both. producer. Yeah, it's both. Uh, but yeah. for a lot of other EPs, they're not in it the way that we are. Right. And I think that's why uh, a lot of filmmakers would actually, from an EP perspective, be more hesitant to allow them into that process. Uh, because, again, I think we're somewhat unique in that regard where well, well, let we me, do have that expertise. Right. So, yeah. But but let me but say this is why I'm answering the question. Nick. That's why I'm like I'm giving advice. So, so I'm saying from the EP perspective, meaning if you're listening and you think and you're thinking about giving money to a film. Yep. You have to not be an ivory tower EP. If but you have to have the knowledge. Like that's that's the part that I'm saying. But but that, how do you get that? You got to get on set. You got to start watching the dailies and like watch what they put down. You got to go home and study. You got to know. Oh, did you guys consider shooting this this way? Um, oh, this is this kind of movie. Um, you know, this movie, this movie, this movie did it this way with great effect. Um, should you use a steady cam on this? Like what, like those are kind of things you, you should research and know. And that's what I would teach an EP. If okay, I had so a month to teach them. See what I mean? Yeah. So let me, yeah. So let me jump in there and say, I think what I'm learning from you in that is that it's like, there's kind of two things that I'm getting uh, from that is one be an active learner and then two be an active collaborator. Mm-hmm. Right, but, so but, that's, but having the, the nuance to know, like, if you collaborate in a way that stops the creative from being who they are and yep. doing what they want to do, you've now crossed a line that's going to make you a nuisance on set. That's right. And so so because that's a learning process, I would say that 
um, you know, the EP should have an open dialogue with the filmmakers to talk about when, you know, if you do cross the line, you know, you got to you have to be open and honest. Right. If the filmmakers can be open and honest with you, they should be and they should tell you, hey, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But, you know, that's really the role of the director or that's really a role or the final decision is made by the producer. Like we appreciate your input. But, yeah, be be willing to get that kind of critique from the filmmakers as well, that if you do cross the line, they should mm-hmm. feel comfortable enough to let you know that, uh, hey, your swim lane is over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well said. Okay. Last, last question. And then we'll, we'll, uh, call it a show. Um, if you could provide filmmakers with one piece of advice, Nick, what would it be? Reach out to Bonsai Creative. Make us a part of your process. Make us active listeners and active collaborators in your work to help you build a brand for your project. Now, if I take the plug out, (laughs) (laughs) right, and just bring it back to what I was saying before about branding, I would say if I had one piece of advice, it is to build a consistent brand for your film and engage um, people and audiences around that brand as you're developing, creating, and selling your project. That's very, very good. And I I agree with both of those points. I've got nothing against reaching out to Bonsai, of course. And and for me, you know, I go back to the advice. I, I, I think about this all the time. And I tell people this all the time. Um, I've been fortunate enough to mentor some people, you know, uh, a, a handful of people actually over the last three years, I'd say. And I'm so thankful for the, I keep a pretty tight circle of really close friends, uh, people who really, 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 really know me. And I'm so thankful and grateful for those people because they allow this piece of advice I'm about to give to sort of play out. And, um, and, and in this and in this way, not just friends, but also family members that are that are willing to be honest with you. And it's the advice I got a long time ago, which is if you want to know something about yourself, ask someone else. So um, really great friends have been able to say, why do you do this or why are you doing that? And, you, and it allows you to reflect in a way you couldn't do it before. So if you take it back to the creative realm and you're wondering, like, what is holding me back? What am I missing? You know, instead of internalizing that, just ask someone else that's close to you and and give them the freedom and runway to be honest without you judging them or, or hurting the friendship. Um, I've actually done this before. I did it uh, decades ago. Uh, was it decades ago? Yeah, it was probably two decades ago. It's crazy. Wow. Um, where I literally called up every one of my friends and asked them to list off things I could improve on. And it was very humbling. And of course, you know, it was in the context of, I'm, you know, this isn't going to hurt your friendship. You can be honest um, with me. I'm not going to, you know, this isn't a trap. This isn't a trap. This is really for my own self-improvement. And then once they were in that space, they were able to give me that feedback that gave me a working list of things to, to, to be better at. So as a creative, I would say, Ask someone else if you want to know something about yourself and they will tell you exactly, I mean exactly, and potentially in the most uh, uh, self-actualizing, heartbreaking way, they will tell you what it is you're lacking and you can begin working on that thing immediately. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And you know, I, I know you said the one thing, but I wanted to kind of piggyback off of earlier discussion and to say that uh, one of our first principles that we learned uh, as EPs is no mercenaries. Uh, this is very much a relationship business. This is very much a business built on uh, relationships and friendships that you make from film projects. Um, it's built on collaboration and no mercenaries. You know, you don't have hired hands that come in that are just doing the job and walking away uh, especially to I'll just say to the degree possible, because you want everyone to be all in on you and all in on the brand of the project that you have and all in on the project itself. 
So, you know, like you said, if you're an EP, you're walking around the room and you're shaking hands, you're talking to people, you're having lunch, you're having drinks. Uh, this is because it's a relationship business and no one is here. No one should be here just for the paycheck. They need to be there for the project. So, you know, that's kind of something that kind of goes across a couple of things we talked about today. But I just felt like it was necessary to say just no mercenaries, man. We don't work with them. And I would say, you know, filmmakers shouldn't either. Love it. Nick, thank you so much for the conversation, my friend. Yeah, dude. It's always fun. Uh, you know, it's always nice to for us to get together and have these conversations. And uh, hopefully the filmmakers are, are learning, learning a couple things. And hopefully they do take that little bit of advice that we dropped, which is contact us. You know, we'd love to be part of your effort and uh, help you build a brand that sells. Yeah, absolutely. And um, for those out there, that would be at bonsai.film, B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. Yes, that is the web address and uh, you can contact us there. Also, if you guys have questions, questions that we didn't address on this conversation, you can email us those questions at contact at bonsai.film. Contact at bonsai.film. Send us any questions. We'll address them on this very forum. And Nick, until uh, I talk to you probably later today, be good. (laughs) Yeah, man, you do the same. And the filmmakers, what is it? Be better, be creative, and be engaged. Absolutely. All right, bro. All right, guys, take it easy. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it if you haven't already you can join our podcast community on apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for make it bonsai creative if you do that the show will pop right up you can also follow us on instagram and twitter at underscore bonsai creative and on facebook by searching for bonsai creative and of course if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success Go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.